This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what does it mean to become Canadian? Gagan Graywall just became a citizen. She's a friend and she walks us through the process and what it meant to her, plus your calls and text messages about that oath to become a Canadian being a checkbox and not being an oath at all. It might be time to ditch IQ tests on the world of weird things with Greg Fish. We learned about the origins of IQ tests, why they're outdated, and why judging intelligence is more complicated than it seems. Also could set people up for failure. And are you okay with stunt driving? What about disguises? All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. Canada is the best country in the world. Canada is a magical place where people move and pack up their belongings and leave everything that they've known to come here. We as Canadians forget that. We forget how special this place is. And I think we take it for granted. We have terrible voter turnout. We don't get involved politically. We sit back and complain. We've allowed political ideology to take over all aspects of our politics. We, we don't do the things that we need to do to make Canada even better. And yet, there are still people from all over the world that just want to come to Canada. There's something incredibly important about declaring your intention. Declaring what it is that you're out to create. There's some magic to declaration. I'll explain my thoughts on declaration coming up. There is a notion being floated about that Canada should get rid of the oath in public, saying the oath out loud and replace it with a checkbox. Submit. I don't know about you, but I don't always read the terms of service, terms of use, when you sign up for music streaming or your online book club. Scroll to the bottom, click the checkbox, I understand, yes or no. Here's what I want to know from you. Should that be okay to become a Canadian citizen? Can a checkbox be okay to declare that you're a Canadian? 877-399-9898. Does it make you mad, the thought, that all it would take is somebody to click the checkbox and click, okay, poof, you're a Canadian? I don't like it. I want to know your thoughts. Is a checkbox okay to become a Canadian? 877-399-9898. I have a friend named Gagan Graywall. We've done a ton of study together. Gagan became a Canadian a few weeks ago. And she's very proud of it. And so I wanted to have a conversation, and I did this in the daytime and recorded it for you, to find out what mattered to my friend about becoming a Canadian and if checkboxes are okay. It's The Shift with Shane Hewitt. When we become something new, we have to become something new. I think it's incredibly important with this story of the Canadian government proposing that the oath to become Canadian is a checkbox. That's problematic for me. I'm lucky. I have a friend. Her name's Gagan. And I've known Gagan for a long time now. Um, And when I met Gagan, uh, I would have thought she was a Canadian. She's as Canadian as they come. And turns out wasn't a Canadian and was hiding in our country illegally. No, I'm just kidding. That's totally not the case. Uh, but was uh, but was here and living your life. And then you, through the course of COVID and then after COVID, just recently became Canadian. Gagan, how are you? 
I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Um, so let's go backwards in time before we get to the Canada part. Right. Um, where? How long have you been in Canada for? I've been here since December 27, 2020. 20, oh, God. 2002. Yeah. Okay. So, so 20 years, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, so you come from India. Where in India uh, did you come from? I'm actually a, I'm, I'm, I was part of the naval uh, family, as they say. So I lived pretty much everywhere in India. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents and their forefathers are from Punjab, but we lived everywhere. Yeah. Lived everywhere. Moved all over. And then you come to mm-hmm. Canada and then um, uh, you have kids yes. and all those things, uh, two babies. And, and here you are and you finally become Canadian again. Now you have told me that you, uh, Calgary is the longest place you've ever lived actually compete like even in india like you've never lived in a place as long as that you've lived in uh in calgary yeah that's that's correct yeah uh, calgary is is more my hometown than even the place where my parents come from for sure yeah see that's wild eh so it is kind of crazy to think that all of that then you still needed to become you still wanted to become canadian yeah that's neat Mm -hmm. that's cool Okay, so now let's let's fast forward in time. I mean, geez, I've known you for what seven years, five years, seven, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Wow. Um, so fast forward in time, you're you are now officially Canadian. You mm-hmm. did do the oath. Now I through did. COVID, they started doing that stuff on video calls. Uh, you did yours on a video call. I did. Yes. Mm-hmm. T- tell me, tell me what that was like for you to sit there and do your, your, I'm a Canadian. This is my oath. This is my promise to Canada. What's that like? Well, I've, I've made a lot of promises, like as in I've made some promises, which were just very important to me. Like when I had my baby, my first baby, and I held him in my arms, it's like, I'm your mom. Now I'm going to take care of you forever. Like that was an important moment in time. This is kind of, Canada, the taking the oath for me was at least just as important because um, it, it was making a promise that I will abide by uh, all the rules of being a Canadian, um, you know, so, uh, you know, making sure that I do my best and bring my best to everything that I take on and then that's I don't know. Like it, it just it's, seemed like it was important to me. Like it mattered to you, though, right? Yes, it did for sure. So why is saying it out loud important? It gives you a moment in time where you said, "Yes, that's when I became a Canadian." Like you go through the motion, you fill out the forms, you sign the forms, you take the test, but it's that moment in time when you're like, "Yes, that's when I became the uh, a Canadian citizen." Right? Like I belong mm-hmm. now. It's important to me. It's interesting, right? Because what you don't say is, I didn't want to be Indian anymore. No. An Indian citizen. It just became about being a Canadian plus yes. family heritage, right? For sure. And it, it's like, um, I joke with my kids that they're Canadian before I was because, of course, they yeah. were born here. But it, <laughs> it kind That's of... Good. It kind of felt like we we were together again, like because I was Canadian too, and then now whenever we travel anywhere, we go together as a unit. Whether whether before it was like 
um, Indians will have different rules and their Canadians have the tr- different rules. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Passports are different. Everything's different, right? IDs different. True. Um, okay. So, uh, Gagan is a uh, Canadian, new Canadian, although not a new Canadian, which is funny, a 20 year veteran. <laughs> it's like we, we talk when we talk to, um, to like singers and stuff, we talk about overnight success, like this, this overnight success that took 10 years to get here. It's kind of what it is. It's very similar. Um, the notion that it's a checkbox though, right? You have to say it out loud. That part matters. You just said like, there's this moment in time where you remember becoming a Canadian. Yeah. And that's where the switch happened. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is it? What is it? I, I guess what, what is the, the implication if it's a checkbox? I mean, I know people if they scroll and they check the box and they scroll and they don't really make that declaration. I mean, you, I, I can have my opinion. I was born here. That's, that's my opinion of what I think Canada is and should be. And the people who come here and the promises that they should make. But if they, if someone doesn't have to make that promise, what's the implication of that? Okay. So I'm going to go there. I, this is something I was holding back, but I come from a long line of freedom fighters for India right? Like my grandmother was a venomous freedom fighter. She, mm-hmm. uh, she, you know, was against the Britishers and being in Canada and mm-hmm. from having to make the, make the oath and like swearing my allegiance to the queen. Um, there was that moment in time for me where it was like, grandma, <laughs> I'm sorry. But this is my future here, right? I'm making this promise from, from like, as, as someone who knows that my family is going to live here come future generations. And, uh, and it was important that it was said out loud because until that moment, I'd never confronted the fact that, you know, I'm actually swearing allegiance to uh, the monarch. And I'm making yeah. all these promises to a Canadian, um, to the, to the Canadian people, as I'm yeah. going to be part of this community and, and, um, and all the all the things that come with it. Like I'm raising two boys who are going to, yeah. you know, go make their impact on the world. And as me as their mother, like I'm making this promise to raise them to the best of my abilities. And that's fascinating. I, I think it's, it's more than just a checkbox. That's for sure. Well, it's interesting because your grandma didn't live in Canada, right? No. And your grandma was, you know, the anti-colonial perspective. I mean, if you're in India and you're true, traditional, uh, then you probably don't want that colonial impact on your country. Understandable. Makes sense. Probably would have done the same thing if I was in their shoes, right? Yeah. But at the same time, when you've been here and you can see that, you get clear on it, though, don't you? And uh, that's what I hear. I hear this clarity when you say, uh, you know, I, Grandma, like, I can see that light here. And I respect the history and I respect all the things. But it's different now. It is. Yeah. I mean, um, it's it's creating a life here for my family and my and future generations of the Graywall family. Whereas Greywalls, my parents and their forefathers were all very much, you know, a Punjabi family. We've got 
a long history of military service to India, um, to the Britishers before the before India became India. But even after that, I've got cousins who are in the military, um, cousins who are married to military folks. So we're very um, and we've decided that Canada is home now. And yeah. Has your brother yeah. gone through it yet? Has he? Oh yeah, we Canadian? did it actually. We did it actually just hours apart. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. So same day. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, then you have that to share in too. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think that you would talk about it the same way, where if you were like my brother and I clicked the checkbox the same day. <laughs> I don't think you would talk about it the same way. No, I have actually, actually, I am. It's actually three of us, four of us that did it very similar i think it was because of COVID. we were all even though we had applied at different times i had a cousin in vancouver who also became a canadian citizen at that time he and his wife and then me and my brother so it That's was cool. like a <laughs> but it was yeah i mean something else something shifted because we we're like yeah we're canadian now can like that's cool i yeah. love it i think it's so fantastic it's cool to hear that it's great to hear that perspective look i i still think it should happen in person there's magic to looking other people in the eye and sharing that energy with other human beings uh yeah. i can handle doing it online for convenience for people who can't travel one of the arguments was is not everyone can afford to take a day off work to do it but mm -hmm. if it's as easy as a laptop with a camera i mean you have to go sign your legal documents uh with a lawyer and take time off work to do that. This is, fr frankly, as important as it gets. So I, to me, there are no arguments that take away, other than economics and convenience, there are no yeah. arguments that say that this is valid. And I think it'd be a real crime to do that. I mean, it'd be great to do it in person. I realize not everybody can always do that. Yeah. But I, I hear your story, Gagan, and I just, it's, for me, it's like, that. that's what it's supposed to be. That's the whole point. I don't know, it's fascinating. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It's great. Canada looks good on you. I know, it does. Uh, that's uh, Gagan Graywall and a friend of mine. Now, becoming a Canadian, saying the oath of becoming a Canadian. 877-399-9898. Would you be okay with someone coming to our country and clicking a checkbox, just like signing up for Spotify? I'm not okay with that. I think that the power of declaration is so integral to everything in our lives. Okay, some of the text, I want to know your thoughts on this. So let me know if you want to talk about it. You can call it in too, 877-399-9898. Um, I think the oath of citizenship needs some modernization, but I think we should still do it. It's one text. When Ryan and I were talking about this, um, Ryan sort of had done the research on on the other end of it about, you know, some of the arguments as to why they say that it should be done online. And one of the arguments was not everybody can afford to get there to do it, take the day off work or whatever. But, you know, if you get married, you still have to sign documents and take time away. It's not like you're going to get married on lunch at work. Right. If you if you're going to uh, do your will, you still have to get someone to notarize your will. If you're going to buy a house, you have to be there to sign the documents for the bank. You've got to be there to take possession of the house. There are things in life that we agree are going to be in person to do it. So I accept I don't like it, but I can accept 
a video call for those who can't make it. Somebody who's not maybe so able-bodied to get there or traveling too far. Maybe you live way up north, but you could do it on the internet. Yeah, okay, there are definitely benefits to using technology here. The power of tech, the power of declaration, though, is so incredibly important. You see, the power of declaration, not a, I don't mean like a vow so much. There's magic in a vow, but we use vows as some sort of uh, currency exchange th agreement thing, and we don't really use the word vow properly. We don't use the marriage thing properly the way that we say it, right? You just read some vows, I promise to take care of you if you break your leg. But no, like there's an integrity part. I think that's what I heard with Gagan when she was talking about it, was that there's an integrity part of something that means something to her. When she was bridging the gap from the history of her family and what her mom, her grandma stood for and moving into a new era of that, that meant something. Having her brother do it on the same day, that meant something, Right? So these things are so incredibly important for us to be able to, to do that. What is declaration? Well, declaration is everything. Give you a little insight. Ryan, what am I holding in our video call right now? Can you see that? You are holding a pen. Why is that called a pen? Uh because somebody named it the pen. I agree. This is called a pen. That's the power of declaration. Someone declared this is a pen, and then they created enough people to agree that that was called a pen. If we want to call this an elephant, we just have to get enough people to say, hey, can you pass me the elephant? I need to write you a note. And that's it. So everything in our lives is a declaration and an agreement. Everything. So... If you don't declare it, it isn't. Get what I'm saying? 877-399-9898. It's The Shift. I'm Shane Hewitt. What do you think? 877-399-9898. Calls and texts. I think it's perfectly fine, Texter says. I was born in Canada. I don't even know the oath and have never said it that I'm aware of. Truly don't think an oath matters. Okay. Thank you for sharing your thought. Another text from Ron. Ron is old and gets goosebumps singing our national anthem. I don't think a check mark would thrill me as much of it at all. I imagine a game of uh, a group of folks stand up. I would hold up my card and say nay nay to the checkbox. Thanks, Ron. What do you think? Is a checkbox acceptable? Calls and texts. I want to know your thoughts. Do you want all these people? The government's talking about a million people coming to our country. Do you want them to create an oath and say it out loud, stand up in front of other people, look them in the eye, and live into it? Or do you want a checkbox on an online document? Text message. I agree with you, Shane. There's something special about a public declaration. Marking a checkbox diminishes the efforts it requires to become a Canadian citizen. Years and years and years, many people saved up, moved here, work visas, all the things, all the investment, all the time, standing in line, filling out documents, doing everything. And after all of that, check, submit. That seems out of balance. 
Jack texts in, I want people to recite an oath. Being allowed into Canada to live here has deep meaning. We do so much for new Canadians. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing that Jack says, though, is it too much to ask? Jack, you're putting that on the Canadians, the new Canadians. It's not the new Canadians that are proposing this. It's the your government that's doing that. So it's not too much to ask. In fact, I would say that most people coming into Canada have no problem going through reciting an oath. So don't put this on the uh, the people that are immigrating or uh, immigrating into Canada. This is on our government that's doing this. Okay, Denise says, I would prefer to say the oath with witnesses or other people who are about to become Canadians as well. I feel I would be depriving myself of the emotions that you would share with others. Ooh, that's good. Thanks, Denise. Is a checkbox acceptable? A checkbox is never acceptable. Like, it's acceptable when you're signing up for music or when you're delivered to my address, Amazon. That's it. We become... Boy, oh boy, if you ever thought that citizens were just a number, make it a checkbox, Canadian government. Cat uh, and Gimli. I became a Canadian citizen in 1996 after living in Canada for 18 years because I had two infant sons who were born here and decided it was time to commit to this country. I took my citizenship test in the morning and was sworn in that afternoon. It was incredibly important to me to swear the oath of citizenship it's a momentous thing, and just going, yeah, okay, is not remotely the same thing. There were about 120 of us, and we had to sing O Canada in both French and English. In short, it was one of the most important occasions of my life. Becoming a citizen of a country where you were not born redefines your concept of yourself and realigns your priorities and your national pride. And very importantly, only citizens can vote. Uh, thank you very much, Kat. I think that's very poignant of you. As our guest said earlier in the hour when we were chatting, there's this moment where you become something new. When you declare it and you're there and you become something new. I would go as far as to say that most people that take their oath, even on a video call, probably put on a nice shirt. I'm willing to bet they're not in shorts or sweatpants when they do it after all of the effort to move halfway around the world to become a Canadian citizen. I actually find it rather idiotic that the government would even suggest the notion of a checkbox being acceptable. But again, hey, if you're a Canadian citizen and you're just a number, then sure, sign up, checkbox, hit the checkbox. Come on in, people. Pay your taxes, make the money, work here. It's amazing. Um, Trucker Dan says, just one more reason why I love Kat from Gimli. Bill's in Hamilton. Hi, Bill. Hey, what's going on, Shane? Ah, thanks for calling, bud. I appreciate that. So you did the oath when you were young. A little bit different reasons, though, but what was it? Right, right. I, I was 17 years old when I took my oath, oath to uh, join the uh, United States Army. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you're 17 years old, you raise your, your right hand and then... You, you know, you're given the oath, basically protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies foreign and domestic. I'm 64, and I still remember that. Mm -hmm. That touches you, like she said. That that touches you that moment. 
in your heart. You've committed to something. I, you already filled out all the paperwork. You already took all your tests. You already did everything you needed to do. But when you take that oath, that seals the deal. That makes you part of what you're going on to belong to. And even in the years when I reenlisted, you know, down the road for 17 years, it still hits you. It still gets you in the heart, and, and it makes you part of what you're doing. It's fascinating. Um, you, you know, it's funny because we see in movies, we see that that in, in movies, because they're mostly American movies, right, um, that when people sign up, and, of course, recruitment's different in the States than it is in Canada, but, you know, it's kind of that same notion. It's a big decision in your life, and, and people go and race and tell their family or or whatever, that they've made this big decision and they've done that. I mean, it's it's got to be an incredibly powerful thing. So you live in Hamilton now, Bill. Are you a Canadian yet, or are you? Yeah, no, no, no not yet. Been working on it for the last um, 13 years. Everything got put on hold during COVID. Yeah. Um, I've been here since 2008, mm-hmm. and I started the process, and then I got divorced. So then right. I had to start all over again. But, yeah, I was in Toronto for a long time. I've been listening to you guys since day one. I actually oh, got cool. carjacked. Five minutes before it, when Drex was the host, yeah, <laughs> no way, beginning of the show. So yeah, Holy it was moly. crazy. Yeah, that was a long time yeah. ago. Uh, you know what, uh, Bill? That's cool. I, I wish you the best. Can you imagine what it would be like today if, after all of this work, you've taken this oath as an American to be part of the military when you were a kid? Now you've moved to Canada. I mean, you're like 14 years divorce and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you get this notification letter or an email or whatever it is. Congratulations, William. You can become a Canadian citizen on June 8th, 2023. Click this link, scroll to the bottom, check the box, and you're Canadian. How would, do you think that would land for you? I would feel let down. I'd feel like all my hard work, because it's not easy. It, that, like you said, standing in the lines, taking time off work, everything that you have to do, it's not easy. And if you make a mistake on your paperwork, you have to start all over again. But when you're standing in front of a, a magistrate or, for, for me, it was a, a three-star general and, and making a commitment, that was like, yeah, that's, that was worth it. I, that was worth it to do this. You get the tears in your eyes. You get that jolt in your heart. Kind of like Lady Wilson said yesterday when you were giving her that, uh, uh, the, the thing that you said to her, and she, you, she said that you almost brought her to tears. That's that mm-hmm. moment. That's that moment. The, the moment Bill's talking about was when Lainey had talked about how it took 10 years to get to where she was, more than 10 years. And I had asked her the question about what would you say to yourself as you packed up your trailer and moved to Nashville 10 years ago? What would you say to yourself? And she jokingly said, don't do it. And then we had a laugh about that. And then I followed up with that and I said, well, what would you say to yourself if you could take what you know today and all of the heartbreak, all of the hurt, all of the letdown, all of the lost, all of the lonely, Everything that happened that was so difficult for 10 years, if you could tell that person that this 2023 was the outcome, this is what you're going to go through. Here's the list. By the way, here's you got to check all these boxes of heartbreak and hurt and all these things for 10 years. But 10 years from now, this is where you will be. Would you purposefully choose to go through all of it knowing you'd be here today? And that's where her response was, uh, you're going to make me cry. Because that's how powerful it is. It's beautiful. Uh, hey, Bill, um, let us know when it all comes through, will you? I will. I will. I'll keep in touch. I always do. I shoot you emails from time to time when I get yep. when I get the opportunity. Appreciate that. All right, all right Bill. Thank Take you. Care, Have a good night. Bye-bye.
You too. There you go, 877-399-9898. What does it mean to become a Canadian? Is a checkbox okay? Um, another text. I think a person should take an oath. My parents came from Poland, and not only did they have to take an oath, but my father had to prove he had a job to be able to support his wife and family. Yeah, you have to prove all that stuff, you know, employment, bank accounts, all that stuff, intention, history. You know, you probably have to give your browsing history in today's world. What's your voicemail password? I don't know. Um, but it, you know, the, everything has changed. A checkbox just doesn't work for me. It really doesn't. 877-399-9898. We're going to take a little break. It is Good News Tuesday. The good news is, is this is not a thing yet, but it could be. Um, they're asking the question, the Canadian government being they, um, should the oath be the oath? I say do it in person with good reason on a video call. Saving a few million bucks over a bunch of years uh, when the government is spending more than ever on consultants uh, is idiotic. I want to know your thoughts. 877-399-9898. Should a checkbox be your oath or should you have to declare it out loud? Power of declaration, friends. This is the Shift Podcast. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. If you look up weird in the dictionary, you'll see a picture of Greg Fish sitting there. Worldweirdthings.com. Hey, Fishy. How's it going? I'm good. Welcome back to the shift. We got to talk about skeptics. What is happening? Well, actually, we got to talk about uh, we got to talk about IQs. Oof. IQs. That's a big one. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, IQ tests on the last edition of the World of Weird Things podcast and how they are not exactly what they're supposed to be, or rather how there are different IQ tests that measure different things and how their purpose was originally corrupted. Well, what is in intelligence quotient is IQ. What is intelligence? We should probably start there. Well, what actually, is intelligent? I mean, I just want to just want to create a distinction before we go. I mean, you can have somebody who is the most intelligent person you know. They can also be not very smart. Wow, I feel attacked, but that's okay. Uh, no, but you know, <laughs> but no. in all, but. But no, in all seriousness, the, actually, that is a huge question because we don't actually really know what intelligence is. There are some broad lines of consensus, but we're not 100% sure. In general, we think of intelligence as the ability to solve problems. And that is essentially what the earliest ideas of IQ tests tried to measure because scientists early then um, recognized, and when I say early on, I mean like the end of 19th, beginning of 20th century, they realized that intelligence was about problem solving and adaptation and flexibility. I just wanted to add one thing to that. On top of problem solving, it's not just a problem though. It can be adaptation in a new situation where there is no foundation of good or bad or um, problem solving. Like if you take a, if you take a, an ant and put it in a whole new environment, they will create what they need from out of nothing. So it can be newness as well as problem solving. I just want to add that layer there. Well, 
you can the, the way that they defined it was actually kind of blurred the distinction between the two. They looked at a, that dealing with novelty as problem solving because you're in a new environment. How do you get the resources that you need, et cetera, et cetera? So yeah. again, that they wanted the to just na- reason. Yeah, the they wanted to, to narrow it down. Like, what are your reasoning skills? How well how well are you going to do in different environments? So that's what they really wanted to capture, and then enter some people like Francis Galton. And if you don't know who Francis Galton is, I'm sorry, I'm about to tell you. Um, He is the godfather of eugenics. And he was interested in trying to measure human intelligence for less than stellar reasons, because he lived in Dickensian England, where some of the worst and most destructive ideas of the modern Western world kind of became the standard the one of those uh the you know the, the whole idea of if you're poor it's because you deserve it if you any kind of work even meaningless ridiculous useless work was better than none um run away like a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with kind of comes from that from that idea and from those ideas and one of the things that he was trying to measure is he was trying to measure whether uh people who were um, whether immigrants, were people who were poor, were people who didn't conform to kind of like the upper crust of British society, could be objectively quantified as inferior and threatening British society. So that's where you start having some of that corruption kick in and formulate some of the ideas that, oh, maybe we can use, use IQ tests to say, hey, these people have inferior intelligence and therefore maybe you know they just need to be ditch diggers and some other people need to be scholars and politicians it sounds like today's society more than yeah. anything doesn't it like, we I mean, haven't really the, we haven't come very far like I, I mean hey we we need people we need people to do these jobs that nobody else wants to do so let's bring more people into the country that will do these jobs uh that to me is uh sounds like we ain't come very far there fish well, that like I said, that's the genesis of a lot of our of a lot of our bad ideas and the uh, and the thought that you know some people are just belong as the servile class to those who already have power and prestige and so on and so forth. So lots of problems, lots of really messy things there. So when it gets mixed with a simple idea like, hey, let's try and figure out if there's an objective metric of problem solving, you start getting a lot of really nasty stuff. Um, muddled in with your science. So we end up with people looking at IQ test results and and doing different things with IQ tests and saying, oh, well, this person is obviously very smart because they very they have a very high IQ score. But the reality is that nowadays, a lot of really good performance on IQ correlates extremely well with high academic performance, which correlates extremely well with household income. So in many ways, you could say that a lot of standardized tests just measure household income and commitments to education in different households. Now, very importantly, this does not mean that only well-to-do people and only rich people will do well on IQ tests. There's definitely, you can definitely train to 
get really good scores on IQ tests by solving certain types of problems. You can really, or, or studying certain kinds of questions that are asked or certain general knowledge that's asked on these questions, you can do that. And also there are definitely people who are just very academically inclined or their families really prize academics um, and they'll perform extremely well. But in general, statistically, the better off you're born, the better you're going to do on these tests. And that raises a huge problem. What are these tests actually measuring? The smartest guy I ever met dropped out of university and became a heavy equipment operator, worked at a golf course, and I've never seen him happier than when I saw him do that. And so uh, it is interesting to see when you say high IQ, absolutely. Uh, but I'd never seen this person. I acknowledge the fact that he did this. I say it as a good thing because when I saw him after school was done so many years later, he was happy and social and friendly and smiling. And that's a guy that in school, I don't think I ever saw him behave like that. And it, it so probably the smartest guy I know. So it doesn't necessarily mean su like financial success necessarily for everybody. It also doesn't mean that you're going to be happy. Oh, actually it, can mean the opposite of that. In fact, high IQ scores are also correlated with depression and anxiety and certain mental disorders. Yep. Uh, so Statistically, it's not, yeah. Yeah, it's not necessarily a rosy picture. And Smart and people I are will, typically less happy. Yeah, uh, and I will, tell you, I will tell you this. I was also pretty miserable in school, and I remember that I was basically predestined to go into computer science and engineering, and for the longest time, I tried to reject that with everything that I could. I tried to do literally everything else, anything different, because I, I felt like, okay, I have certain scores, and I have certain aptitudes, and I can do certain things. And I, I just, I feel like my life is being dictated to me, and I don't want to do that. I want to have free will. And yet, look at me, I still ended up doing this, but I ended up coming around to it and doing it on my own terms. Um, and and you can you can really like when you start using these IQ scores to try and say, oh, well, this person is going to be really good at that. So we need to push them into that. The, the tracking is what it's called in, in the education system. So when we're going to track people and we're going to tell them what to do based on their IQ scores, based on their aptitude scores, we're going to define the jobs for them. They're not necessarily going to like it. It's not necessarily a good use of those scores. And you're only very likely to make people miserable. They need to still be able to make their own choices. But that, but we've actually tried to do the reverse of that. Uh, there was a there was a big trend for a while of trying to evaluate people on IQ scores, trying to evaluate people on aptitude scores and basically predict what their path in life was going to be. So it's no wonder that a lot of people who scored very well, who did really well in academics and um, and and were told, hey, this is what you're going to end up doing, said, well, I don't really want to do that. And we're told, well, doesn't matter. This is what your scores are. This is your fate. There are stories, and I'm going to just sort of Cole's notes and paraphrase this and probably get parts of it wrong, but the principle stands. About a person who didn't think they were going to do well in high school, didn't think they were going to go anywhere, uh, down in the dumps, typically uh, not academic smart anyway. Uh, you know, maybe real life smart, but not academic smart. Went and wrote SATs, got the SAT test back, and got a very, very, very good score. 
when I took that confidence, went off in life, went to school, became a business person and successful, enjoyed all kinds of things and basically hinged their success on, oh, I am so smart. I can do anything. And then found out many years later that the SAT scores were wrong and they actually got a terrible um, SAT score. And so the notion that when somebody tells you you're smart, that carries a lot of weight as opposed to the people who get a bad score and they're like, oh, I'm dumb. This is, I'm destined to do this. Kevin Hart has a fantastic story, um, the comedian, about how he he was worried about partying after school, uh, going camping with his buddies while his buddies were busy nailing the SATs and he realized very quickly that they were all leaving for school while he was still going to be there. So, I mean, th there is some notion, maybe to the bias, maybe it's confidence building, maybe it is conditioning, just to believing that you can do it. So this is kind of like what you're talking about is, was kind of manifested as the self-esteem movement for a while. And it's like, well, if we praise kids enough and we tell them that they're smart, then they're going to do better. And sometimes, yeah, and sometimes they're just going to get absolutely unearned confidence. So, so it is also a double-edged sword there. Um, but really, the, the, the biggest thing that when we talk about what are we trying to measure when we're trying to measure these aptitudes and we're trying to measure IQ is what we're really trying to measure. We're trying to measure something called fluid intelligence and crystallized intelligence. Fluid intelligence is your adaptability, how well you deal with novelty, how well you problem solve, how well you do pattern recognition. These are very useful skills in a lot of technical fields. They're very useful skills in science, in, science, in construction, um, in, in a lot of daily tasks today. And then there's the crystallized intelligence. These are the, these are the things that you learn. These are actual facts, like collection of trivia. And how you, the biggest thing that we have, the biggest problem that we have is understanding how the two work off each other. And then on top of that, how do we also deal with motivation? So just standardized tests and, and having a, a score that just says, here's your SAT or here's your IQ doesn't capture that. And it doesn't really tell you that much. So the question is, how do you then measure all of these aptitudes and everything else? You have to do it cumulatively over an extended period of time. It brings me to your skepticism that there are it's kind of like happy and sad are you happy no i'm sad are you sad no i'm happy okay well that's clear are you happy no are you sad no i am not happy but i'm also not sad right i am i'm not sad i am not happy like you can be distinctly the opposite in that now, the reason why I say that is because I agree and I uh, disagree, right? You can, we often say it to people, we won't give them the credit. I agree with you. That gives people power. What we will say to them, and catch yourself if you do this, I challenge you. I don't disagree. Like, I don't, I can't give you the agreement. I can't tell you I agree with you. I'm just going to tell you that I don't disagree with you. Skepticism lands there in the middle somewhere where you you don't have to agree with them, but you don't necessarily disagree with them. You're just doubtful. And right and wrong, distinctly different than accurate and inaccurate, many people can't go into conversations 
and not be right. Skepticism, what it used to be, has become a need for righteousness or at least proving wrongness so I can feel righteous. We've lost what is a skeptic that lands in that middle of, mm, not sure. Oh, that's 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 going to have to be a rant for another night because I agree <laughs> with you. I'm going to give you that power and say I agree with you because you. World of Weird Things was one of those skeptical. It's it's a whole story, but no, I I agree with you. And so when it comes to skepticism about um, academic trends and IQ tests and all of that, I think that the, the the biggest thing that I wanted to bring up is recognizing all the baggage that comes with it and that it's an incomplete picture and it still needs to be. Uh, it still needs to be refined and that a single score cannot be used to control your life. There's a lot of other things that need to come into play um, to decide what are you actually good at? What do you actually enjoy? What are you actually going to succeed doing? What are you actually going to be happy doing? All of those could be completely different things, by the way. And it's and it's really up to you, which is a little scary. I think some people don't like the idea that, hey, everything's up to us. And in fact, there's a lot of studies that say the more choices we have, the harder it is for, for us to make a decision because we have major FOMO. So trying to narrow down some of these choices is very comforting to people. But if we go about narrowing those choices the wrong way by measuring the wrong things and claiming that those things measure things that they really don't and they really can't, we have the potential of messing up people's lives. And we've done that for, for hundreds of years now at this point. Uh, and there's no really no, no need to continue there. I do, I do think that tests like IQ tests can be valuable if they are adjusted correctly, if they are given correctly, if they're framed correctly. They can give you valuable information, but you have to do so alongside different aptitude tests. You have to do so uh, along some, some experiential uh, learning where you actually can go out and you try can try different things and see what you like and see what you don't like. Um, it, learning how to be a person and especially learning how to be a person today in the world that's very rapidly changing and requires a lot of adaptations and novelty and creativity and being able to change everything that you do on the fly is difficult, but we need to embrace that challenge and we need to make sure that we have the right tools to help people point themselves the right way. We don't have uh, time, another conversation for another day to get into um, a product of your environment and some of those inherited conditioning pieces of what your family, you know, my dad is a tradesman, his dad was a tradesman, therefore I must be a tradesman mentality. Um, and if you are a tradesperson, then awesome. The world needs lots of them, but probably shouldn't be one just because someone said you should be one, right? Like be one because you find that it works for you. Which goes back to that place of you can be very smart, but not intelligent. And you can be incredibly intelligent, but not very smart. And also, it's very important to remember that with humans, yes, genetics can give you propensity. They can make certain things easier Ooh. or certain things more difficult. But nurture plays an enormous role in human development. And just because you have the propensity to do something without focus training, without dedication, you're never going to become excellent at it. You could be maybe the greatest basketball player of all time. You could maybe put LeBron to shame, but if you don't develop that skill, if you don't train it, if you don't identify it, you'll never do it. 
And, mm. and that's a very important thing to understand about humans and genetics. We're not ruled by our genetics. Our genetics just kind of give us certain nudges and certain opportunities, mm. but we are the ones who have to take them and yes. we're the ones who have to discover them. I don't disagree. <laughs> ah, okay. Okay. I um, see. I see how you the, are. Uh, no, I absolutely agree. I, you need to spend time with my son. My son, uh, with his grandfather who passed away when he was very young, a couple years old, walks exactly the same as his grandfather. He didn't spend any time around his grandfather like that. And his uncle, he spends minimal time with. You see them walk in, you can be like, you guys are related. And they spend minimal zero time together. Yet somehow he walks like them. Nature nurture is a whole other layer to this conversation. It's fascinating. The link is up at shiftheads.ca if you want to check it out, worldofweirdthings.com. Greg Fish and some skepticism and um, IQ tests and so much more. Thanks for being here, Fishy. Always a pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? 877-399-9898. That's our phone number. Uh, we're a little unprepared because this one just came down an hour ago. Um, what, 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 what? Oh, seven hours ago. Uh, this this particular publish, uh, it, it was um, published on BBC recently with all the details. Um, the information came out, but then finally details. Okay, ready for this? Now, if you're not a golfer, this might not mean anything to you. But if you know golf or you watch golf, you've paid attention to any sport at all. Here's the headline from the BBC. PGA Tour, Live Golf, and DP World Tour have merged. The deal brings peace. But turmoil lies ahead, is what the article says. So now, Ryan, Live Golf, for those who don't know, PGA is the PGA. DP World Tour is the DP World Tour. But then Live Golf comes along, and it's uh, the Saudis. So human rights record was one of the big stinking points for so many, sticking points for so many people. And then um, offered like $100 million for players to leave the PGA and go play in the Live Tour. And the... I think that the reality is, is that those, it looks like those guys are still going to get their money and now they're going to be allowed back in. What's happened is the PGA has rolled over and said, okay, we will be under the umbrella of Live Golf. So Live Golf is going to be the boss. PGA is going to run it, but Live Golf is going to be the boss. That's staggering news, Ryan. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because there's just so much money in golf right? It's just a ridiculous amount of money. And so, uh, like the, the, how it's run for me doesn't, I don't really care as like a fan other than the fact that the best players in the world are going to be playing against each other again. And then the money they're going to be playing for is going to be astronomically stupidly large. And Mm -hmm. so I think for the average person that wants to watch golf, it's probably a win. Uh, is it like the best thing for the industry and people trying to become professional golf players? I honestly have no clue, but I'd be interested to learn. Hmm. Well, so there are a couple of people like Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy who stood up for the PGA, did not take the hundred million or 50 million or whatever millions of dollars to go. And it was a, it was a wild sort of golf tour. Uh, Dustin Johnson won it last year. It's been, it's been out for a year. And now they're going to be controlling the umbrella of all golf around the world. We're going to hear a lot about this one. 
um, I, I the words that are floating around the internet is sellout. Hmm. So the good news is though is the best golfers are going to be able to golf anywhere, and they don't haven't really released how everything would dance. But it took seven weeks, and even some of the most high end involved golf folks didn't know that this was happening. But in fact, the very first line uh, says. When the email arrived, it was reading an awful lot like an April Fool's joke. So there you go. Uh, Live Golf, PGA Tour, and DP World Tour merging, according to online reports uh, that have officially come out late last night into this morning as details start to unfold out of uh, Europe, right? I mean, so what's happening is it's, oh, about 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the center of Europe. So all those details are starting to unfold now. So we... um, yeah, we'll get more as this goes. Anyway, uh, let's move along with our pre-planned thing of are you okay? I don't know if I'm okay with that. I really don't. Um, are you okay with stunt driving? Uh, yes. I uh, I'm not much of a I'm not much of a redneck. You know, I'm not a I'm not a big blue collar kind of guy. However, something is unlocked when I see a monster truck or a race car or people doing stunts, something is, I like turn up the woo-wee, I want to have a can of Paps Blue, you can hear it in my voice, I love it, it's so entertaining, something about hearing the engines, the roar, and just the pure, like, thrill-seeking of it, I I think it's awesome, I think everybody Hmm. should go to an event like that at least once in their life. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, okay, I mean, seeing it happen, yes, in a controlled environment, on the streets, though, I'm not so cool with it. Okay, well, yeah, that kind of goes without saying, yes. Yeah. Um, so how's that learner's permit going? Are you going to get your driver's license soon? Uh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you ever seen a tow truck ramp on the side of the road? You know, the kind of tow truck that has a flat deck, right? And they tip mm-hmm. it up. And they drag the car onto it so they can take it away. It's not like the old days when you have the rubber mats in the back and they lift up part of it. It doesn't work that same way anymore sometimes, but usually they just put them on a ramp. Well, you see that ramp there. You see that tow truck. You could think, I wonder how far I could fly. You could drive right off it, soaring through the air like a stunt driver. Well, down in the States, in Georgia, actually, it was caught on body cam from police. Somebody actually hit the back of that ramp on the back of a tow truck and went for a wild ride, and it was all caught on video. It looks like something straight out of the Dukes of Hazard. A police body camera capturing the wild moment a car traveling down a highway in Georgia launches off the back of a tow truck at full speed. The car going airborne, narrowly avoiding the tow truck driver walking in front of the truck. The car then flipping before crashing back down to earth and into another vehicle. Deputies then rushing to the aid of the driver. Deputies were there responding to another crash last week in Lowndes County when the shocking moment unfolded right in front of them. This morning, officials confirm a 21-year-old woman from Tallahassee was behind the wheel of that car. She survived with serious injuries and is still recovering in the hospital in stable condition. Wow. Okay, that was uh, 13 News Now. State Patrol estimates the car flew about 36 meters over the tow truck, flipped upside down before it crashed down on its roof, hit another car, and rolled over several times before stopping. 
Now, it's unclear whether any charges are going to be filed against the motorist, and it's unclear if she did it on purpose, which I'm going to guess is safe to say probably not. I mean, I do it all the time in Grand Theft Auto V. It's just like, yeah, let's do it. It's fun. You know, see how far you can fly. And I think there's like a 10% chance that she was like, I can do it. How much is your deductible on Grand Theft Auto? Uh, it's, that's a fair point. That's a fair so point. If you had a thousand dollar deductible in Grand Theft Auto that you actually mm-hmm. had to pay cash out of your pocket, probably get concussed. I mean, she's okay. That's the amazing thing when you see the crash. Um, the, and then miss time off work and all that stuff. I'd say it's a thousand dollars every time you're going to Grand Theft Auto. Would you still do it? Yeah, because I can just go rob a bank in Grand Theft Auto and replenish the funds. No, real money, right? Real life. We're talking real Real life. Real life? Well, no, of course not in real life. Of course not. This is why I'd let the professionals jump off another ramp. Yes, I would not rob a bank in real life. Yes. Well, thank you for letting us know that. Power declaration again. See? Powerful, isn't it? Yeah, word thing. uh, Yeah, okay. She didn't do it on purpose. She couldn't have done it on purpose. It's absolutely staggering. 877-399-9898. That conversation about some... Oh, this one comes in. Uh, tow truck video. Come on, admit it. Most of us have thought about doing it at some point in our lives. <laughs> yeah. It's like you make eye contact with it every time you see it down on the ground. And you're like, that yeah. would be fun. Um, Trucker Dan says, I tend to avoid stunt driving. My rig is 135 feet long. Handbrake turns just don't look the same. <laughs> <laughs> bet. Although it'd be, I'd be curious to see what it would look like, right? Um, fascinating. Okay, um, to the golf conversation that we just talked about with our previous, are you okay there? One question I have about the golf story, is the LPGA going to benefit from this or is only man golf thing? Just wondering. Yeah, so LPGA and PGA are two separate organizations. Well, first of all, uh, Live Golf is Saudi, so I'm going to say no. Um, That's an assumption on my part. I think it's a safe assumption. The Ladies Professional Golf Association, LPGA, is distinctly different of an organization separate from the PGA Tour, which is, um, they're just different, okay? From what I can tell, I even looked it up online. Now, there's an alliance to support them. Hmm. How they're going to react with the LPGA with this with this scenario, I, I, I don't think it makes a difference because uh, only a couple of times has a female uh, golfer ever played in the PGA uh, Tour events because it's typically so long so we'll see uh, are you okay with disguises Ooh. a disguise it's uh yeah i enjoyed wearing the uh, batman costume around uh, the comic expo a couple months ago mm-hmm. unfortunately i was missing the mask part of it so it wasn't a very effective disguise uh but uh yeah i uh, i enjoy I'll never forget watching Mission Impossible for the first time and the scene mm-hmm. where they put the the fake heads on at that and the latex, like how well that was done. That's some inspiring, cool, cool uh, movie magic Disguises. right there. That's a proper disguise. You like Halloween though, yeah? I do. Yeah, I, I partake in the Halloween of the ween. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say that, um, yeah, I think we all love disguises, whether we admit it or not. I would, you know, philosophical shame that likes all those things deep. Uh, says that I think that we live in disguises 364 days of the year. And Halloween, for many of us, is the one day of the year that we actually live to be the person we wish we were. 
So I would say, yeah, we wear disguises every day. We pretend to be somebody we're not. Right? So, but that's me. <laughs> I like dressing up like Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm all existential. It's so funny. Well, if you're going to be a supervillain, you're going to have to have a good disguise. One of those latex head things that Ryan was talking about. That is one tip a Florida man seems to have forgotten in his endeavor. I don't know how things work in Florida, which from your description sounds like a colorful, lawless swamp. Ah, uh, yes. The shift, are you okay with, brought to you by Florida. A Florida man is in custody after breaking into a store with a disguise. His disguise, a giant cardboard box. Pretty bizarre scene here. New video shared by Miami Gardens business owner shows a thief stealing phones while covering his head up with a cardboard box. The surveillance video captured the robbery around 4 Saturday morning. It happened at I Repair Tech, which is located on Northwest 183rd Street. At one point, the clumsy culprit even drops his disguise, revealing his face just before he leaves the store. The owner tells us the thief took 19 iPhones and $8,000 in cash, doing a total of $15,000 in damage. The suspect was later spotted in the area around 5.30 Saturday afternoon and arrested. Uh, that was from ABC7, by the way. You can see his entire face on camera as the box falls off his face. Uh, the suspect, identified as 30-year-old Claude Vincent Griffin, was charged with grand theft, burglary, criminal mischief, cocaine possession, and resisting an officer without violence. A cat, on the other hand, was very happy to climb into that box and take a nap. Are you okay with... First dates. Um... Yes. Yes. I, I First dates are fun. I, I'm pretty lucky. I've only ever had one bad first date. And I've had a lot of good first dates. And my first date with my partner, Laura, is very, very, very memorable. Like I can remember almost every minute of it. And there's nothing particularly crazy that happened or all that exciting. It was just a really awesome first date. And, uh, you know, it's cool to try to have those memories of those first moments where you're like, hello, stranger. And then four years later, hello, partner. <laughs> it's it's bizarre. Do you think Laura remembers your first date the same way you do? I I yes, we talk about it a lot. One of the, the first Valentine's Day gift I ever got from Laura was this beautiful uh, journal with a bunch of drawings of kind of some of our moments. And one of them was our first date. And Laura drew it perfectly. Laura is a very good artist and wrote down some of the moments that happened there. But yeah. it's fun to talk about, was I, was I good at flirting? You know, was I good in that, in that moment? It's fun to like, take those notes even mm -hmm. after you've been together for so long. Yeah. So were you? I think I was okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have like if the, you know, this, I have an actual sexy Ryan voice, you know, that really that can, yeah, that can get the job done. Yeah. Feel free. That's reserved for people that deserve the sexy time voice. Well, you know, but I mean, you're all in with Laura, so you're never going to have another first date. Mm -hmm. So I want to like, we've, get the well, it's not, voice. it's about subtlety. It's a, it's a subtle voice. Like I can't just yeah. turn it on. It's, it's a subtle, like, flirty voice you know it when you hear it and i hope you never have to hear it <laughs> well i hope i never hear it then yeah exactly right okay well maybe we should should we just get the mood here for it 
There it is. You know. Okay, Ryan. Subtle. Sexy boy. <laughs> hey, baby. Hey. Do you like Lego? <laughs> I'd like to click your blocks together. I. Oh, God. I did. I was, This is an actual moment for my first day with Laura. We get to my house, and I'm like, I open the door, and I look back, and I'm like, just so you know, I have a lot of Lego. I warned Laura and went down. I'll never forget Laura's reaction. Oh, my God. You really have a lot of Lego. Thankfully, that's usually the deal breaker on the first date. If they, if they, if it doesn't scare them off, we're good. Excuse so allergic to uh thinking about ryan and his first yeah, date yeah, and marvin yeah, yeah, gay hey baby do you like my lego oh my god okay uh the, and we just found out how ryan got the batman costume okay um anyway where were we <laughs> i'm lost <laughs> first that date set me off. are you okay story oh my god uh my first date with mel uh, I flew across the country to Ottawa. So our first date started um, in, at the airport, I guess. So I guess that's technically my first date. That's cool. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we've all had bad dates, but what happens if your date goes great and then you get some bad news? <laughs> okay. Sorry, I was like... <laughs> And she's your aunt. Um, well, that happened to a Tennessee woman that had a great date with someone she met on Match.com. One issue, he was married. But this woman is head over heels. And so she got to work, as you would when you fall in love with a married man. You hire a hitman. A Knoxville woman has been charged after hiring a hitman to kill the wife of a man she met online. According to a Homeland Security investigation, Melody Sasser transferred about $10,000 in Bitcoin to a website called Online Killers Market. The complaint found Sasser met the victim's husband on Match.com to became hiking friends while living in Knoxville until he moved to Alabama. Sasser then went to his home unannounced and told him she hoped he and his wife could fall off a cliff and die. Uh, this is WKRN News. Now, this next part of the story I just made up. After finding out her husband was on Match.com, the <laughs> wife went to uh, HireAHitman.com and also tried to hire a hitman, and now these two women are in jail together. That part's fake. Screenshots of the hitman website obtained by WVLT News show Sasser telling administrator it needs to seem random or an accident or plant drugs. Do not want a long investigation. Sasser is expected in federal court in Knoxville this week. Quite a short investigation. <laughs> ironically um the the only thing that might have been the tip off is if they had called it not the police it's a hitmanwebsite.com it's like how do you fall for it it's it's so it's too easy and they're love like is yep. blind, Ryan. love, love is, blind. is blind you know what yep that's true maybe well she was so impressed by his lego collection that mm. she was like i need to i need to kill his wife so we can be together because that'll make him happy i can imagine the conversation oh my god you have the ultimate collector series star destroyer star destroyer on a stand jeez you're serious <laughs> <laughs> that's how it went right wait a second it looks like you broke this in your move has it been reassembled Ooh, foreshadowing 
Dun, dun, dun. Duh. All right. Um, yeah, so that was very dark. All of it. Very dark, by the way. Um, please don't hire a hit man or a hit woman or a hit yeah, anything. And uh, not good. And also, um, if don't go to match.com if you're married. I mean, hey, you can do your thing. But if it's a seat like that, that part, you, yeah, it's very public. <laughs> Just so you know, it's very public. Anyway, um, probably a good time to move on because um, I can't seem to shake uh, Ryan in a Batman costume trying to explain his Lego habit. And um, it's time for me to step away. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 